The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> Hi, folks. We're back for part two of the discussion of the offense in that Steelers game. Obviously, not a happy topic, but if you could make a topic like this happier, you talk to Gordon McGinnis of PFF, and he's here to join us for the second part of this again. Uh, talk a little bit about the offensive line, talk about some individual uh, performances in this game. Gordon, how's it going? Doing well. Looking forward to talking about this. I think this is the part of the offense outside of the pass catch and whereby it's less of a happy story. Yeah, I, I would agree. Not uh, not a particularly happy story, particularly at those tackle spots where the Ravens really seem to have an enormous problem right now. All right, well, let me let me run through a little bit of this. The uh, Stanley, we'll start with him, uh, seemed to be really overwhelmed by Highsmith in this game. Highsmith, a, a good pass rusher. He's one of the guys I give a larger... Um, uh, subjective adjustment for, and the subjective adjustment is never that much, even with TJ Watt or, or uh, any of the real top pass rushers in the league. But, but it's it's something, and and for him, it's it's not quite the highest. But he gave up a, a sack uh, that was a, a, a forced fumble as well at the end of the game, where he got beaten straight up outside by Highsmith. Uh, two half quarterback hits, five separate pressure shares, three full and two half. And what's worse than that, he was run out of two more pressures by Lamar as I scored it. So just a, a nightmarish game of not being quick enough for Highsmith. Yeah, it was uh, was not good. Is probably the the nicest way to say that. I, the fumble, the fumble for me, I think, is a really interesting one because. So I kind of jokingly tweeted because of how weird that game had been. Oh, we hadn't we hadn't had the customary Lamar fumble. Um, so yeah. like, of course, that's how the game how the game ends. Like it's a very different fumble from the fumbles Lamar's had throughout the start of this season, whereby it's poor ball security, it's you know hanging around in the pocket, all those different things. This was two point seven seconds blindside in the throw in motion. Like you, you can't you can't blame Lamar for that. That's yeah. the, the offensive tackle has to be able to hold that long enough, or if you're going to get beat, push him wide enough. Um, like Lamar was just Lamar was literally right at his time to throw when kept clean in that game, right at the point where his hand gets hit. Yeah, it, you know, it's one of the things Stanley's been really good at during his career is mirroring very effectively whoever the pass rusher is on that side and allowing what I call bump pressures on Lamar, which aren't the end of the world. They're pressures. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're getting backed up into the quarterback, but he maintains very good position, usually relative to pass rushers. And honestly, it was it was up and down in this game with that being the biggest down point. Uh, but Highsmith beat him inside uh, as well. He had a nice spin move on one play. Uh, just a, a a really difficult set of results for Ronnie Stanley. And anytime Ronnie comes back and plays a game like this, you know you, you worry about how close we are to the end. Yeah, it's it's such a shame because the injuries, like it does feel a little bit like him in a similar way to to David Bakhtiari in Green Bay. Um, a little bit different because of the stage of his career age-wise that Bakhtiari's at. But 
it feels like we've had like all time pass blocking careers just ruined by injury. Like Stanley, his this first couple of seasons in the NFL, even in college as well, just such a natural pass blocker. And it is it's that stuff you talk about about mirroring players and his footwork so good, and the type of injuries he had are just things that are impacting the things he is good at. And I think if 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 injuries impact the things you're not good at, that would seem like it's terrible. But in a, a lot of ways, you can kind of compensate for that by the things you're good at. The injuries that Stanley suffered suffered have impacted like what his strengths were in his game, and that's why this is so tough to watch at times. Yeah, yeah it, it, that's absolutely true. In, in in terms of that ankle, that flexibility is not there. The ability to move around is just it doesn't look the same. It, he's he seems to get rolled up on right now about once per game. It happened again in this game. And I was just, I, I was beside myself when I saw it happen because I was sure he was hurt and incredibly gets up and he's, he's playing the next play. Uh, but I almost wonder if there's some sort of steel boot or something he could wear at this point in his career that probably would restrict him even for, further in terms of, of mirroring, but might, uh, uh, might keep him a little bit safe on the back of his ankle. Cause it just keeps getting rolled up on. Yeah. Every time it happens, like every time I've seen him go down, the my immediate first thought is like, "Oh, I hope, like I hope this isn't it." Mm-hmm. Eight missed blocks in this game. Five of those losses at the line of scrimmage. So I divide them like that. Um, one block in level two. Two points on three pulls. Two pancakes. No highlight. You have one kind of a vicious pancake uh, after he had had some poor success for several plays where he flipped a guy to the ground, almost like in disgust over his own play, really, in, in some ways. Uh, comes up with an F overall for me, .06 short of passing. It wasn't a complete fall off the table game, which I think is good that, you know, Stanley is still battling in there in a game where, uh, he, you know, he's, he's getting beat fairly regularly. So we've seen, you know, James Hurst versus J.J. Watt and some other games over the years, O'Neal Cousins versus um, Lamar Woodley and, uh, you know, games that have been just incredibly one-sided affairs. Um, and this wasn't that, but it was still, it was a pretty um, one-sided loss to Highsmith in this game. Yeah. The, the way I would look at it is in, in Ravens context, this was truthfully probably worse than Patrick McCarry would have done at left tackle in this game. But it was significantly better than Daniel Fowley did when he when he stepped in at right tackle. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree <laughs> with both of those statements there. Um, and, and you know, we're projecting a little bit to say what McCary would have done at left tackle, but McCary has been a, been a hang in there guy as well, even when he's had his bad games. Let's move over to John Simpson. And, and Simpson came to the Ravens, of course, this offseason with a reputation as a guy who drew tons of penalties. He had 17 flags in 1,545 NFL snaps with Las Vegas. Okay, so that's one every 91 uh, offensive snaps or, or, or snaps that he played um, so far with the Ravens. He's one every 48 snaps. He's had four and 192 or something like that um, uh, this season. That to me is an enormous disappointment that the Ravens have not been able to turn him around on those holding flags in particular, which I believe are three of the four at this point. Yeah. And one of them, the the one in this game was uh, the holding flag in this game uh, was on the play where Lamar scrambled when they were down, like trying to come back at the end. And it the holding the holding plays that frustrate me the most are the ones whereby you're already beat and the quarterback's already had to move. Like 
you're not you're not saving anyone by holding them here. Mm-hmm. It it was a play whereby if he just doesn't hold, Lamar's already gone and he's already outside. And I maybe maybe there's like a coaching element here whereby sometimes I think you just have to understand. Like there are plays whereby you have to hold. You know, if your quarterback is scrambling, if you're a tackle and your quarterback is scrambling left or right of the pocket, you risk your quarterback being hit and potentially injured if you don't hold. You know, leverage is lost, but you need to hold because you need to try and do something there. If it's like coming into the pocket and you know you have a quarterback who's going to get outside, you don't need to hold on those plays. It, and, and that's that's where it's so much more frustrating is when it's a play that you just didn't need to. And that's what that one was. And that honestly is a pretty high percentage of holding calls on run plays too, where they happen more frequently. And and it's just it, to me, it's a matter of Simpson learning to, to when the player is outside the frame, and and it, it, there's an awareness of the ball carrier he's got to have relative spacing of the ball carrier. But honestly, if he's out the frame, even if you're giving up a tackle at the line of scrimmage or or even behind it, I mean that's usually a hell of a lot better than a hold. Um, Dan Reese had something that was pretty good that he did uh, a couple of years ago, looking at the 2019 Ravens offense that said a holding penalty on first down is approximately as bad as a four yard loss on first down in terms of converting a first after that. So think about it in those terms. If you're going to give up a one or two yard loss, you know, particularly on first first down, I mean, a holding penalty is just it's holding outside the frame is not something you should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's the way like, we we downgrade penalties pretty severely at PFF. Um, like it's the it's the equivalent it's the equivalent of losing. It's the equivalent of losing on a on a um, tackle for no gain or a tackle for loss, or in uh, pass protection. I want to say it's losing within either. I think it's within two and a half seconds. So it's give, like give, give me a minus minus two to, to plus two. Mi- minus 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 one is generally ge- it's generally the penalty one. It's there are there are mitigations in certain occasions. Um but it's yeah, it's like minus a, one. A false so. start is minus a half then, or is it minus what is it? Uh minus minus one for false start as well. So like and that's maybe, you know, there's maybe like a, a difference in, in ways that we could look. I also don't know what I should probably clarify. There might be some like normalization stuff that's impacted. Like I'm talking about purely based on the actual data entry part whereby it's like all all those pretty much all penalties, with the exception of ones whereby you know, I don't know, I'm trying to think of what mitigating factor there could be, but I'm not. It's not coming to me um, just okay. now. And I, I've been a kind of a vocal proponent that I think you guys are a little bit underweight on penalties. That the the in terms of how drives get stalled, if you look at that, there it's much more heavily weighted to penalties. And so I I I, I give a minus six, which is the same. It's not quite as bad as a sack because it's a minus six for zero, and a sack is minus six for one. If you want to, so it adds one to your denominator also. So really it's kind of like losing seven points, but it's, it's, it's minus six on a hold and that uh, they, they just have a very big propensity to stall drives. We, we probably should talk more about holds as I, not, not in a, like in terms of, in terms of relative to your position, the impact it has on a, in a vacuum of your own performance is really not that dissimilar from like a turnover for a quarterback, right? If a quarterback throws an interception 30 yards downfield compared with an offensive tackle holding on a play, you know, an offensive tackle can't turn the ball over. So like within the relative things that he can control, that level of, uh, that level of play is, uh, it's pretty bad. 
Yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, you know, one way to think of it I, that I think of it because of a, a sixty snap game is normal, maybe or sixty five for an offensive line. You basically drop a full grade level at tackle for a holding call, and on the interior, if it was you do it at center, it might be a grade level and a half you drop. So it's 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 pretty severe. Yeah. All right, a little bit more on Simpson here. Half a pressure, half a sack allowed. Uh, two two out of three on pulls. You know, the problem with Simpson also, aside from the penalties, is that the guy is still got real balance issues and he seems to get be very vulnerable to the push pull move where he's he's convinced he's being pushed and he kind of leans out over himself and then he gets pulled right down to the ground and and every defensive tackle in the league who faces him seems to be hip to this and is looking to put him on the ground pretty quickly what i had a discussion with someone uh after week one so he degraded really well for us in week one and this is this is probably a, a limitation on like looking at, at PFF grades on like a single game vacuum. And like if you look through the tape of that game, there's a lot of stuff that happened in that first game that technique wise is not good at all. But it just didn't lead itself to him mm-hmm. losing. There was a lot of plays whereby like he would kind of fall down but be able to get enough of a shove that, you know, and it's not you shouldn't look at that game and say okay, we can project this guy being good the rest of the way. You would look at that game and go, okay, he kind of got away with these things and that's why he didn't grade poorly. But actually, there here's these few things that we're really quite concerned about. And that's, you know, those mistakes have been kind of similar um, kind of throughout this, as the season's gone on. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I, I'm I'm all for blocks being successful, even if they're from the ground, but completely agree with that that assessment that basically you still can't project a lot of growth from, from somebody who's on the ground all the time. It's just a, you know, that's not the place you want to be blocking from. The, the crazy thing though, is that, you know, we talked about this in the first show. Uh, if the alternative is Salah, I'm, I'm still good with this. <laughs> oh yeah. The, the, yeah. the, alter- the alternative I think would be, I, I don't, I, I hate being negative, but like I'd, realistically if Salah had to start right now I think he's probably the worst starting guard in the NFL yeah I, I think that's probably fair um, based on what we saw in the preseason you see a guy who's just not ready to be on the field but you know he's a developmental player so maybe he's a second year starter uh he's he's going to probably get an opportunity to go against Cleveland I would guess next year for the left guard job while Voris is at right guard and Simpson has gone on to whatever pastures exist for him um, I completely forgot about Andrew Voorhees. That's got huge. me. That's got yeah. me a lot more excited about the offensive yeah. line next year. I forgot about him. Yeah, I, I love that trade up this year. Yeah, he's he's the man. He's he's if if he ends up being anything less than a starter, it's going to be a really big lost opportunity for a, for another Brown story uh, for 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 Ravens fans. Anyway, uh, great great pick. Uh, what else do I have to say about Simpson? I, I had him as a C overall in this game. He just, one of the things about it is he, he really wasn't fully responsible for the, for the sack or the pressure, even though he certainly contributed to it. I, this is, this is maybe a time to have a very brief discussion about this. And I, I've had this conversation 20 times with various PFF people. I'd say this is at least the second, maybe third time with you about whether or not you should give out two half sacks or a full sack. Uh, under under certain circumstances, and you guys all give you give out ones or zeros. Although I know you give out downgrades that are behind the scenes, which may more um, accurately is is the wrong word. But if you're dealing with only one or zero, you have some loss of accuracy there. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, but, yeah. Go, go ahead. 
but I, I do think it's an interesting point. Like, so the the way we approach sacks from the defensive side of like half sacks and sacks, if you're if you're trying to quantify a, a player, I think full sacks for everything there makes sense because you're if two players get the quarterback at the same time, slight little bit of gray area in the sense of like would they both have taken the quarterback down as opposed to allowing a scramble and those things. But from an offensive line perspective, when there are two guys at fault, I can I can see a lot more case for splitting things up there a little bit and, and breaking those things up. And, and the, the point that I've gotten from Neil first and then for Ben Stockwell for years when I when I talked to him was that, you know, when when two guys meet at the quarterback, why shouldn't we? When when both offensive tackles get beat by the by the guys, why shouldn't both offensive tackles take a full downgrade for the sack on those plays? And I I I, I He's completely right. The collective he of everyone who's ever told me that is completely right. But the problem is it's a, like a 3% subset of all sacks where you have two guys equally beat for a meet of the quarterback. Everybody have a party sack. Yeah. And, and probably 55% of sacks are some multi-contribution. And watching the Ravens play, it's almost always first man pressure, second man sack this year. We, so we see it. Um, and anyway. Yeah. I, I do think it's an interesting way. Almost – so in in, uh, in soccer, they don't just look at assists now, they look at second assists. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes like the actual assist is not anything particularly important. Whereas that second assist was the, the pass that set up the assist, and that's the, the special part. There's potentially something there in the future whereby like what pressures led to sacks. You know, if you if you give up pressure and that leads to a sack. Is there some way to like quantify that? And there, there must yeah. be. Even within our data we currently have, that's probably something that that can be done. I, I, I bet there would be, and and I bet if you looked at it this year, that Jadavian Clowney in particular would have done pretty well in terms of that because I've I've got it listed out on a play by play basis. And there's a whole lot of PR twenty fours with a with a sack that comes after that. Yeah, uh, in there because <laughs> he's been Mister Mister Almost as you've seen Humphrey get on. Uh, so anyway, C for Simpson, let's move on to Linderbaum here. Uh, I, I thought aside from the snap decision, which was God awful to, to, to make that judgment. I thought he played pretty well in this game. One did allow one penetration, one and a half pressures, one and a half pressures getting up there for, for a center. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. He only missed two blocks. Otherwise, as I had it, one of those is a loss at the line of scrimmage. Um, three out of three on poles, a B for the game. First of all, how did how did PFF grade him? Because I, I don't even know, honestly. Pretty, pretty similar. So um, he had, I want to say, yeah, the high the highest grade for any offensive lineman just over uh, Zeitler. Um, it's like seventy four point two. Like that probably translates to be B pretty well. Um, it's in that kind of B. That's maybe that's maybe B plus range at that point. Um, the interesting thing I thought was that like watching him move out there, it looked like he wasn't fully healthy himself. But still, like as he as he played, he looked fully healthy. If that makes sense, like his movement, I was like, "Oh, is he is he still laboring a bit here?" But his play actually didn't look like he was being impacted by that. A little bit different to Stanley, whereby his play was like, "Okay, yeah, he's he's definitely still hurt." Um, I I just love. I, I was so upset when he got hurt early in the year because, like he, as you would expect from a guy they took in the first round, he has all the potential of like best center in football yeah uh, he definitely does as a run blocker i i've i've been really down on his pass blocking and some of the it's not 
traits as a pass blocker as much as length and size issues that he had. I will say this at camp this year, it looks a lot bigger. looks like a lot more filled out in terms of the body. I think they have weight is weight listed exactly the same level, but he's bigger. <laughs> and, uh, uh, the problem is he's never going to get longer and we still see a, a, a fair amount of the time. This happened a lot more in his rookie year where he got, he gets really jacked up by a, uh, defensive tackle crossing the guard's face where he has more time to get his legs, his arms out long and sometimes can even make that two to one conversion very quickly in terms of, of two arms on him initially, then one and gets him jacked up on one foot pretty easily. Uh, I, I, I still see problems there. And I know the way you guys uh, combine your grades is such that his grade as a center is much more dependent upon his run blocking grade than his pass blocking grade. Yeah, I think that's I think that's correct. I I also in the pass blocking stuff as well last year the thing where I thought he especially early in the year where I thought he really struggled was stunts. Yep. I he just he couldn't identify what he was supposed to do or identify them in time and he was it wasn't even and this is this is going from college to the NFL. Mm-hmm. He was a half beat or a beat late on knowing where on identifying and picking up and by that point in the NFL it's too late. So, so you're some of that is processing, and there's no doubt about it. I, I, and, and I, I agree with you completely on the on the the stunt pickups are are generally bad. I think the secondary problem with that is that when there's a stunt that goes into him, where he's part of that pick area, that that that's where he has more problem with the length of a, of these ginormous men he's facing at the NFL level. So, but that 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 also means he's probably more worried about that, and he's up on one foot, and then he has to peel off and yeah. pick up that linebacker who's coming through. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on. Zeitler, uh, I thought he had his best game of the season in, in this one. His last week was was okay. He was he was in the B range for the first time after three really not good games to start the year. Um, two full pressures. The only negative events is I had it scored. Uh, he was four to five on poles. Missed three blocks, but none of them were losses at the line of scrimmage. That's really good. It's a distinction as far as I have. So it means he's getting to level two and not making a block, or he missed a pole in this case, and he, and he didn't get a block there. Um so, so generally speaking, A minus after adjustment. I I thought a pretty positive game of of avoiding mistakes. Did you guys have anything else in terms of like a, a, a significant downgrade for Zeitler in the game, other than the two pressures? Uh, I think so. I think we had him for three. So um, I can look into that. But yeah, it's pretty it's pretty similar. Like I, I could even be one whereby we have it more on him, and you have it more on Linderbaum or something like that. I'm not sure, but I need to look into it. Um, we had it as his best game of the year as well. And to be honest, like I was really worried mm-hmm. for a good couple of weeks. The past two weeks, it's felt like he's been significantly better in pass protection than he, than he was um, those first, those first three weeks I was, and, and like, obviously given his age now, this is the, the downstage of his career. He's probably not playing for the Ravens next year. I don't think if he, if he even decides to continue his NFL career, but this was a lot more, you know, like veteran in the latter stages of his career, but still able to still able to perform versus I don't know if this guy's gonna survive the season type of performance. Right. And, and in his case, I've really found it was more about his anchor was just missing as a pass blocker. It's not like he didn't get beat a little bit outside and whatnot, but is 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 really his anchor missing, getting bull rushed more than he had in the past. Uh and there is technique in there. There's also obviously some some other elements of that, but uh, you, you got to worry about this every time. Of course, he's in the last year of a three-year deal with the Ravens. The Ravens have gotten tremendous value from his contract, even if he plays at his current level 
the rest of the year. So they've still gotten tremendous value out of this contract. But it really shows up just how important it is not to get stuck with an old made contract for a guy who's over 30 years old. And, and he wanted an extension. Uh, I don't think it was really ever in the cards that the Ravens are going to be able to give him one, given their large set of free agents that are leaving. I think that they are committed to saving money with Voorhees next year at right guard. Um, but it's it's something you you got to avoid those old made contracts in the 30s like nobody's business. And, and Zeitler is not necessarily one. He could sign somebody else and he could be great for three more years. But you also don't want to get folded into one of these perpetual two years signing for a one year contract deal that sometimes older players will put you through. Yeah, I, I think they made the right decision. Um, and, you know, and, and maybe they get to the end of this year and decide, you know, we want to go a one-year deal or something like that. I think it's probably not mm-hmm. that likely, but um, you're you're better to give yourself the opportunity versus tying yourself to, you know, someone for a good number of years. Yeah, and, and I think the Raven way has always been basically play for your contract, you know, and take it to the market if you need to. But but at the end of this year, we wish you the best if you go into the area. We certainly wish you have a great year for us and increase your value and potentially net us a comp pick. So uh, anyway, I think all those things are still possible, by the way. I think Seitler could still net the net the Ravens a, a comp pick, especially since they've lost some apparent comp picks with players like Dobbins falling off this year. Yeah. Uh, McCary uh, played the first 48 snaps of the game. Uh, he, I thought he was reasonably solid, not great, certainly. Um, I had him for one pressure, half a quarterback hit, and two-thirds of a sack in the times he was in. Uh, three missed blocks in, in um, I that, that is wrong, what I have there, and uh, I don't have the correct number right on me, so I need to look that up again. Um, I, I'll just say that I have his B-minus in total after adjustment. I did have a very large adjustment for Watt. It would have been .10 normally. But the Ravens gave him tons of help. They put Ricard on his side, and they made other offensive sacrifices to um, uh, to try and stop T.J. Watt in this game that were very effective, by the way, but uh, also really limit what McCarry's positive impact was on, on the game. Uh, so anyway, B-minus after adjustment for him. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we had him a little bit lower, and he was like high, high 50s or low 60s. But again, that's, you know right around that kind of defined as so i think initially we defined like 60 as like the replacement level i don't think that's really true based on the actual kind of replacement level like i think for offensive tackles anything above a 50 is you know some level of starter slash high high end backup in the nfl so i think that's probably about where where this performance was it's it's a very scarce skill set, and you're looking at a pass blocking rating at offensive tackle, generally speaking, or an overall rating, or the pass blocking rating is most of it anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. That's uh, uh, I I wouldn't be surprised by that. In the old days of the plus two to minus two, you know, there was a whole lot of red on that scale, and there weren't too many greens at the top. I remember one year that there was a big difference in the median point between run and pass blocking that was different. I think you guys have adjusted for that since and 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 uh, talked about it. But I talked to Ben about it a few years back and and um it, it was a, it was a it was a little it was a strange phenomenon that that it, it didn't seem to be uh um uh, centered up in the in the in the way you'd expect it to be at a at a you know maybe it'd be a 65 or maybe a 60 but whatever it was you should, it, yeah. it should be similar that the all right, let's talk a little bit about Daniel Falele, who was awful in, in 19 snaps. It, it, it was a, a short game. 
he's lucky. Well, lucky. He's not lucky. He doesn't care. But but 20 snaps is the minimum for a grade for me. So he, he escapes a grade here. One pressure, one quarterback hit, one full sack allowed. That's not right. I only gave him a half sack. I got to look at that again here. But I gave him a half sack on the final play because I gave half of it to Hill for whiffing on Watt on that chip block we talked about. Yeah, it it was uh it was not a good game. And uh it's it's enough. Like the when when Ronnie Stanley went out and it was Patrick McCarry replacing him, you have an expectation of a drop off in performance, but because of where I feel about McCarry that he's a he's a capable enough player, you're not worrying about everything completely falling apart. I do think there is enough concern that like Fallaley can have enough plays in a full game that are game breaking type of plays that it is a, a pretty big concern. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And and uh he he had a point forty two raw score in this game. That's right on the border of falling off the table entirely. And I did do it against a good player. So probably right on that border of of you just can't have him out there and he's going to embarrass you just too too badly to do this but uh you know he's a developmental offensive lineman who's forced into a starting role it's just it's not a it's not a positive situation you probably would if if you had your druthers probably would not want to have him active on the roster yeah. you'd probably like to have you know other players but the ravens just they didn't set themselves up i thought it was one of the big weaknesses of the offseason they didn't really go out and get a guy who can play a middling backup left tackle. They're not easy to find, but you know it's like they needed another. The year after they drafted a developmental tackle, they needed another developmental tackle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I guess the the hope was probably that there was more development this offseason, I guess the point that he got to that that okay level backup tackle, and it just hasn't. And you know, he, it's young in his career, and also. His career arc is not the same as uh, as a normal offensive lineman because you know he uh, isn't originally from the US. Think originally from Australia. Um, pro- I'm guessing has the rugby background. I, I, I say I'm guessing. I think I read that. Um, so like it might take him a little bit longer than it takes NFL players just to uh, or players who were you know kind of through high school and everything in in America. You, you see it in his play because he is just not he's not an independent hand usage guy and you you want a guy who will punch and really compete with those those defensive ends as scary as JJ Watt is he's not nearly he's two-thirds the size of Daniel Falele. I mean you if if Daniel Falele chooses to punch him in the stomach TJ Watt is going to feel it and you know he's it's it's that is a, a, a if he if he punches him below the armpit He's going to feel it. J.J. Watt actually, T.J. Watt. I'm sorry, getting the names initials confused here, but um, he, he doesn't. He doesn't like to be hit in the midsection by Justice Hill. I guarantee you, really doesn't like to get hit in the midsection by Gus Edwards. So, offensive lineman, you just need to be physical with these guys. Pass rushing is tiring as hell to start with, and every additional, you know, physical. You know, bit of effort you can put into a to, to blocking guy like that makes it that much more difficult for him to finesse his way around you. Yeah. All right. Well, we're more fun part of the show here. We'll talk about some individual skill position players. I know we hit a, a, on a lot of these in the first half of the show. Hope people go back and download that. But Gordon, you're the guest. Who would you like to bring up? Let's talk some some Zay Flowers usage. So. For all the negatives of the drops, the the tripping up on the on the deep pass, 
the most exciting part of this for me was how they used him and threw the ball to him more downfield. If it wasn't already obvious, he is wide receiver one in Baltimore. Um, I think he had, I think he had half of his, uh, like twenty plus yard attempts, and I think more than half of his ten plus yard attempts on the season so far, just in this game alone. And he and he looks good doing it. Again, caveat of the right at the catch point part on the on the drops, um, even the first one as well. Like you give him a little bit of a break on the first drop because it was a little bit behind. It wasn't enough behind that he had to make too much of an adjustment. He still absolutely should have caught it. Um, but he, he's a he's a good football player. I think of, of all the guys they've drafted in the first round uh, in recent years, there's there's good reason for why they're excited about him, I think. Yeah, I could completely agree. And and the usage is just tremendously exciting because this is drawing safety help is what he needs to do for starters. The Steelers, you know, playing a lot of zone defense and obviously watching Lamar, that's going to happen a lot. Um, Flowers' route running doesn't come into it so much, but Flowers, I think, has developed a really good ability to find space against zone defenses. And, you know, we saw that there was one that got called out on the broadcast and it wasn't even that deep, you know, 10 yard, 12 yard kind of, kind of, kind of throw, but uh, uh, did a real good job of, of finding space between defenders. And, you know, if you try and cover him in man, he's such a sudden athlete, doesn't even really need to be a great route runner to get separation from you. And all you got to do is go go to camp and watch him burn the, the Ravens defensive backs play after play after play. And you really uh, get to see that. But uh, I, I was I was very, very happy with the way he's used in this game. I thought that, you know, they, they still haven't run him consistently on a bunch of nine routes, but even even just getting into level three in this game, getting him trying to get him behind the defense as he did on the fall down play. I thought that that on tape has got to mean something to the next defensive coordinator. Yeah. I also, I love how him and Lamar are, are already the chemistry they have on scrambles is already there. Like he, and again, this is it's such a small, subtle thing for wide receivers, but this is where, he hasn't developed that same chemistry with Bateman and probably largely because of the amount of time he's missed and stuff like that. But two weeks in a row, there's been scramble drill type of plays where Flowers just seems to know how to find that little space, how to sit down in it. I think this is the one they called out on on the broadcast as well. And Lamar already trusts that he's going to be in the spot that he can. So So as soon as he starts scrambling, I think Flowers is the guy he's looking for there. Yeah, the 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 disappointing one along those same lines was Flowers not not getting the proper depth on the early snap, the the mistimed snap by um, Linderbaum, which you know was obviously an attempt to attempt to get a false start penalty or sorry a offsides penalty from the defense didn't work out. And then Lamar's in a scramble drill heading right, and and Flowers was actually free. You know he was he was down the right side there. So part of it's on Lamar for overthrowing that ball a little bit, and part of it's on Flowers for not trying to get even more depth on that play. Yeah, on that, like we didn't talk about this earlier actually when we talked about Linderbaum, and um, I kind of meant to bring it up. Linderbaum obviously is wrong on the snap, mm-hmm. but my initial thought when I saw that response was, I think that's also a coaching thing just based on just based on the time left right like 
how much value is a first down at that point? Because how likely are you? I I know you're going to get an opportunity to score, and maybe that's why it's still worth it. But like the cost benefit of getting that wrong on fourth down versus you've got what like eighteen seconds or something left at that point. I it just it didn't feel worth it to me. But I I instantly knew that was what had happened. Like when the ball was snapped, I was like that that definitely wasn't supposed to happen. And and I initially was like, he's, he's seen Quan Alexander come up. There's been some kind of call whereby, you know, that that's where that is. And interestingly, it's probably the, the biggest negative I would have on the Ravens from the two losses this year, the Zay Flowers fair catch on the safety. The report at the end of the game was, uh, he was told to go out and fair catch it because they saw on the scoreboard that it was under two minutes to go. And then by the time he went out there, the scoreboard updated and it was now mm-hmm. over that. Like, okay, but that's a critical point in the game. You you have to you have to make that adjustment. Call a timeout or do you know do something there that that makes him makes him understand that. Okay. I, I want to unpack a little bit of that. But for, for the for the flowers play, you can see from the all 22 from the sideline view, from the top view, that Harbaugh motions to Flowers and puts up the number two to him, waits for a response, then gives him a thumbs up in return. So he thought he got the response from Flowers, that that Flowers understood that there was more than two minutes on the clock and he had to take it down to two. Although I don't know why this you know gives you all that. Clearly a mistake by Harbaugh, no doubt about it. Harbaugh owned up to it after the fact, which is is that's what you got to do. You got to own that mistake yeah. uh, and not, not leave it on your players. Cause you, you lose currency with them, not just with the fans who think you're full of shit and you, you try and pull that off. But the, the uh, with, with this play, it was a no, it was a no snap call. So I, I, I have to believe that they might've snapped that ball to go for it on fourth and two anyway, if Linderbaum was willing to do it. So it looked, it kind of looked like they're going up there to try and draw them off sides. And if you're going to do that, the the the, the players responsible need to, to, for doing that need to be the guards or the tackles on the side that happens. But the center's got to remain motionless, and the guard has to flinch as soon as Quan Alexander or whoever it was moved across the line of scrimmage, yeah. and 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 show that. And then you've got your, your your two outcomes then become: I lose five yards on a false start penalty if it's called against me. Or I gain five yards in a first down, but either one is a forty-one versus a forty-six yard field goal. Not too much of a difference for Tucker, I think we'd agree. Yep. Or, or you know, you 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 do that, but that that uh, massive massive error there, and and uh, I I just wish there were better game management understanding generally among players in the NFL. And obviously, you know, we talked in the first show about um, Pickens running in for that score almost cost Pittsburgh the game, or could have cost Pittsburgh the game. It didn't. Yeah. In this case, but it did for the Bears, you know, two years ago when the when they played the Ravens. So uh, it's one of these things that uh, uh, you know it just needs to be better awareness of these of these things, and and probably it means teaching it from a fundamental level, um, maybe bringing rookies up to speed as soon as they come into their 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 first camp um, to talk about it, and then and then bringing it up every camp and and saying, hey, what's the correct play in this situation? Um, anyway, pick pick another player. You go ahead. Uh, so, so this is a, this is a, um, I guess a brief one on my end. This is a, probably a mini rant. Uh, I would love it if the NFL, this maybe the Ravens, maybe the NFL could classify Patrick Ricard as a tight end first now, 
because it messes with a lot of like 11 personnel versus other personnel. I know he's not <laughs> exclusively, but he is primarily a tight end at this point. And there's a lot of, I think it was Ryan Mink who tweeted this out at the after the first two games or something like that. And he was like, oh, the Ravens are in 11 personnel X amount of the time. And like, I'd literally just written about how there's like 20 or 30 plays. I couldn't remember the exact amount whereby they were in 11 personnel. It's just that it was being called 21 because yeah, 21 because Patrick Ricard was lined up at tight end on the play. And I like, I, I went through them all individually to count them. And like of all their 21 personnel snaps, there were like two or three whereby he was actually a fullback on the play. Okay. So I'm sorry. It was, they would have been lined up then in 12 instead of 21 is what you mean? Yeah. What's the, I so always 12 and 21. If you, it's, 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 it's uh, okay, so the, the 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 last number is the running backs, and the uh, I'm sorry, yes. the last number so, is the tight ends. The first number, is yes, running backs. yeah, yeah. So like, so they were actually, it was being called twenty one because they had two running backs on the field, but one of those running backs was Ricard lined up as a tight end. And, right. So that that's that's a place in particular in twelve and at twelve versus twenty one where it really is a different characterization of what you're trying to accomplish, and having that extra guy on the line of scrimmage is what most NFL teams do. They they play a lot of twelve. Um, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, that's very different. I understand why I'd want that, or even to just have a difference between the apparent formation and the actual formation, just look yeah. at the actual, the actual. And, uh, you, you, I will, I, I try to characterize it two different ways. Cause you have the apparent formation is what you're showing the opposing defensive coordinator in terms of players you're putting on the field. And he has to react to that without knowing how you're going to line up. And then you 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 line up and you, oh you're lining up your 13 personnel that way you know with with three in line tight ends or whatever it might be so yeah all right um that's an interesting one I, let's talk about Isaiah likely a little bit he's a forgotten man at this point he's he's had five you know he's played in in the games but he's had uh sorry four targets with three receptions in five games uh what do you make of this at this point. It's really interesting because in preseason, I genuinely wondered if Charlie Kohler was going to be one of the final cuts because of the, because of the move for Ricard. And that didn't happen. He's still in the roster, but likely is the guy who's suffering because when they line up in two tight ends, it's Ricard that they're, they're kind of keeping out there. And the, the targets thing, I think realistically is just, the other players that they have available. So last year, though, you know, in times where he played with the receiving talent they had, even if Mark Andrews was there, he was probably the second best pass catcher on the roster. This year, like fifth, maybe. Um, so there's just there's not the targets there for him, um, which is a shame because I actually think he has the potential to be a really talented player. Uh, it, it's just hard to fit. And you go back to that draft where they drafted Likely and Kohler together. At the time, for how they play on offense, perfect sense. How their offense is now, you know, you've now got two players that actually, they don't really have a role within your offense unless someone gets hurt. Right. And and that could happen, but uh, Kolar has uh, not been the peripheral type player. And what I mean that is a blocker, First of all, he has not been as good a blocker as he initially showed, and then he's had issues holding onto the football as well in terms of of uh, you know, of catching it downfield. Likely had a lot of problems with drops last year, which that may be part of the trust issue with Lamar. I, I don't I don't really know, but but he's been on the field a fair amount. I want to get his snaps for the season here. 
um, let me look those up as, as we're moving on here. But uh, uh, he's a guy who I would hope well, he's played 113 snaps only this year. Oh, this is not good. And I'm just looking at the PFF site here. So his snaps by game, 46 in the opener, then 25, 19, 15, and 8. Yep. Wow. Uh, so basically, as the healthier Mark Andrews is, has gotten, the, the less and less that we are seeing Isaiah Likely. Um, I, I think it just speaks to this. The, so the interesting thing for me is that coming into the season, I did think that this kind of reduced role was was possible, if not potentially likely, to pardon the inadvertent pun there. Um, but he, I, I do think there's an opportunity as the season wears on for to use him almost as like a little bit of load maintenance for Mark Andrews, because Mark Andrews is a player who, you know, when the chips are down in the playoffs, you want Lamar Jackson to have in the field so that he can throw the ball up and, and have him make a play. So later on in the season, if you want to like, and you know, maybe it's just 10 snaps a game one week, five snaps the next week, but just trying to to kind of reduce that and reduce some of the impact there could be could be beneficial for them. So you're saying in, in, decrease Lamar, uh, uh, Andrew's snaps by five to 10 snaps and give them to Likely because Likely can't afford for five to 10 to be the, yes. all the yeah, snaps because yeah, yeah. that's what he's yeah. got now. <laughs> yeah, so so use Likely like as the primary backup at, at, to Mark Andrews. Um, and, and it makes sense, right? The way they're playing offense right now, what they want that, um, what, what they want Ricard to be it makes sense that he's playing the number of snaps he's playing. I think he's he's playing the role pretty well. So likely, you know, can't steal that role. So him being the primary Mark Andrews backup makes sense. And it would probably make sense to me for him to eat into Andrews' snaps a little bit more. And maybe we'll see that in games, you know, if they are up by a little bit more, they can they can give Andrews some breathing time and stuff. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And and if if I'm just thinking about it a little bit, I think they need Ricard more right now with the tackle situation being what it is. And particularly these last two weeks against the Browns and Steelers who have outstanding edge rushers to try and deal with them. Maybe if they face a few weaker ones, maybe they'll get a little more opportunity to get likely on the field again. But uh, yeah, I, I also think as well, like Isaiah Likely last year, I thought was a really good run blocker, but he was a really good run blocker in the move tight end sense in the sense mm-hmm. that he is blocking level two and level three players. Yeah. The where Ricard is really good. Really good is maybe a stretch. I think he's been better than people expect them to be given the, the kind of position change is sealing edge defenders this year. Mm-hmm. If you look at a lot of the Ravens good runs from this year, there's Ricard making a block. And these are not these are not tough blocks to make because you have the leverage, right? You're outside the end, you're outside the edge defender and you're pushing down. But the difference between Isaiah Likely and Ricard is just size and strength. Mm-hmm. And that's on those type of plays, that boost that you get from Ricard's strength is pretty, pretty significant. It, it almost seems ridiculous that there was a lot of call to cut Ricard this preseason and do without him. I, I, going through the year, I hope people remember this now and, and tie it to Monken's you know, offensive usage of him that just is just not a not a player we, we're going to easily be able to do without. What What do you think next year? I think there's a four million dollar cut number for Ricard next year. I believe he, he does have. I, I may be wrong. Maybe he does, he's not under, under contract for a year, but 
forget whether he is or not. When the Ricard era is over, do you anticipate the Ravens going to a trying to find another defensive line convert, or do you think they'll go through the traditional college um, fullback route to try and find a use check type that is a good Swiss Army knife that they can use out of the backfield and also get into the passing game? So, I if I had to guess, I I think that it might reduce even further the the fullback usage and what they might look for is just either Kohler will likely step up and get better as blockers or you look for a more of a a traditional blocking tight end in that sense um but you're right like the the level of play uh, the level of play and the level of importance that he has has just kind of consistently been underrated i know he was kind of like the uh, the kind of thing people pointed to last year, like why is he running this hitch, and you know this is a complete waste of you know all this time and usage. But he's such a good run blocker, um, and it, like I said, you look at the Ravens' good runs this year. You look at their good runs throughout the years. Patrick Card's there. Outstanding, outstanding. I I think it's your turn again. Uh, how about? So Nelson Aguilar, uh, if I was to say to you, he is the second best wide receiver in this roster right now in terms of performance and health. How I, inaccurate a statement do you think that is? I I don't think I can disagree at this point. I mean, and and I, 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 part of the problem is that he didn't haul in the balls. That's the only thing I can look at. But he did haul in a a modestly difficult thirty yard grab where people were hacking at his arms, and then dropped a, a obviously an enormous play that, that might have been a touchdown but certainly would have put in the Ravens set him up inside the 10-yard line at about the very worst uh I, I was really upset with the with the with the trade when it was made originally I thought probably not only was he not worth the money because he'd been so low in almost every significant metric you know it drops uh the yards per target was terrible his catch rate was really bad I mean towards the bottom of, of NFL receivers last year and a lot of different bad categories to be near the bottom and all of a sudden you know he's he's a swan in this offense again and and uh, uh it's it's good to see yeah and you need that like one of the biggest things they've had this year the i, I was similar to you when they signed him and obviously like the signing of him when it happened in the off season was a a huge issue for people because the ravens needed help at wide receiver so the time where they brought him in Zay Flowers hadn't been drafted and Odell Beckham hadn't mm-hmm. been signed. So it was like, okay, great. Our wide receiver one and two are Rashad Bateman and Nelson Aguilar. Like that's the that's the move you're going to make. But his impact has allowed them to survive those Odell Beckham and Rashad Bateman injuries. Um, and, you know, if everyone's fully healthy, uh, if everyone's fully healthy and up to speed, like he is the fourth best wide receiver on the roster, I think. But having a wide receiver four who can be a wide receiver two when he has to be is just, it's a light years away from where they were a year ago. I remember tweeting this out heading into the season. Like, I don't think there's a position group that looks more night and day than it did at the end of last season than the Ravens wide receivers from mm. the playoffs last year to this year. Yeah. I, I, I it's a, it's a great point. It, it certainly is. And, I, I guess I guess there's part of me that just says you never give away a compensatory draft pick, like a sixth round compensatory pick for nothing. Basically, was what I was you know looking at here is this. First of all, 
why is it hard to wait on a Nelson Aguilar? If it's like 3.25 million now or whatever the heck it was that he ended up signing for, he's going to take 3.25 two months from now. It's not like there's some huge Nelson Aguilar market that's going to suddenly uncover itself from people who don't draft the wide receiver four they need. You know, it's it's a really it's 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 a strange situation to to find your team in. I, I do wonder if any of it had to do with the Lamar signing that they said we need to show that we were stocking the room up with a lot of ponies and not just the, the biggest horses yeah. here as well. And so I, no. I think that's possible. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Anybody else we need to talk about how we're doing on time here? Okay, we got to be pretty quick out of here. I'll talk about one more, and that's OBJ. Um Ravens have not gotten what they wanted out of Beckham so far this year. I don't think there's any case. How much do you put on him for the interception occurring and a how would you rate his effort on defense on that play? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting way to look at the the interception because I, I think the fault of that interception is some somewhere split between Beckham, Lamar, and also just like the play call in that situation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I don't understand why why that's your primary option on on that play. Um but it's not like Lamar Lamar probably puts it a little bit off target for where he had to put that ball. I think that's that's fair to criticize him a little bit there. But Odell Beckham Jr. has been in the NFL too long to be getting boxed out and out muscled to that ball from from Joey Porter Jr. I think there's an opportunity for him to have fought for that, fought for an incompletion more than you know him. Him catching that ball probably would have been a difficult catch in that situation, but there was an opportunity for him to force an incompletion there. I think, and I think he, I think he gave up on it a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm very frustrated when when a receiver does not go for the arms, and usually the move is go for the dominant arm and then push the other side of the body. If 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 Porter is twisted because you grab his right arm and you push his back shoulder blade on that play. You got to be, you got to know what's happening, but that ball is obviously coming up short and he was already trying to push Porter, which is absolutely not the right move to do. You got to push and pull them at the same time to get him turned. And I, I just, I, I was frustrated by it. Just watching it. Every time I watch it, it makes me angry to, to see that. What do you think about um, usage wise? I'm a little bit disappointed that we haven't seen him more in the slot. Like I feel like a lot of his, you know, at this stage in his career, the kind of ability to run some savvy routes and some quick slants and stuff like that from the slot can be like a real opportunity. I, I mean, I'd be all for it if they can get this to work. Obviously, they need more early out opportunities, meaning getting the ball out quick uh, from from Lamar's hand. Just they need to have it in the bag, whether they yeah. use it or not. Um, and And I think him in the slot makes a lot of sense. I don't like him at the X at all. And you know, so I think if if you're gonna if you're gonna use him, you you probably are gonna use him in the slot. And uh, you know, honestly, the the biggest thing for me to see the rest of this year, the remaining twelve games, is for Bateman to start playing well, stop dropping the football, start gaining some trust with Lamar. And it's a, it's a, it's a big mountain to climb, but he's the guy who has some upside. Yeah. And and Odell doesn't at this point in his I, career. I, you, and you talked about it in the the last section with Aguilar, right? If if all that Odell Beckham Jr. signing accomplished was it got the combination of that and the Jalen Hurts deal got Lamar signed, I don't care if it was a $15 million overpay or however much it wound up being. Mm-hmm. I like if it's a one-year deal, so like you're not you're not tied into that 
you know, beyond another's void years, and there'll be further cap implications. It's Fifteen and, million of cap hit next year. That's yeah, what I'm just talking yeah. about. <laughs> but but if that you know if that is the thing that got Lamar back to the table and and yeah. got this over the line, then okay, fine. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm in the same place as you. Gordon, always a pleasure to talk football with you. We could, I know we could go on for hours here. I know you have another meeting coming up in about five minutes, so I want to make sure you get to that. But tell folks where they can find your work online and what your role is at PFF now. Yeah, I am, uh, I'm currently our head of content, um, so responsible for everything we do. Not everything in the sense of writing it, but uh, the kind of general direction of it in uh, written content, uh, social media, and uh, video. And you'll find me online uh, on Twitter slash X, PFF underscore Gordon. Love to hear just maybe another minute on this is how much do you micromanage that component through? And okay, I don't want to put you in this position to say this online, but do, do you have to suggest article types that people are writing or do they come to you with their five best ideas and you say, let's pursue that one kind of thing? Or what do you do? So it's like a little bit like I'll I'll kind of go. So I have like a whole editorial team, like I have a lead editor um, as one of the people who reports into me. Generally speaking, with all my guys, like my head of video, head of editorial, head of graphics, head of social, like I just, I don't like to micromanage. My job is to kind of remove things that are issues for them. If I have suggestions for stuff, I'll give them to them. But like, they're all, I'm really fortunate to work with some very talented people who know what good social media is, what good video is, what good article content is. So um, a lot of my job is actually just trying to make sure that they have what they need to do their jobs. All right. Outstanding stuff, Gordon. I'm sure you make a very great manager of, a, of, a, of an area <laughs> like that. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I'll get back to you very quickly. Uh, but uh, I think you guys know the drill by now. Any nice new thing you want to talk about, particularly if any of the PFF interns would like to be on the show, I look for their work whenever I can. Uh, Eric Eager hired some great people. I'm sure you guys are still doing it in terms of having an intern program. Is it, it uh, summer only internships or is it a, like a year round thing? You do not. I, th I think it's been summer only recently. There was it, a few years ago. It was like, uh, like kind of year round thing. It's now primarily kind of summer. All right. Well, maybe it's, it's still a good opportunity anyway to get some very smart young kids in the building and and get them working on some interesting projects. But anyway, Gordon. Again, a pleasure to have you on again. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.